0: You can be seated, church. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Everybody doing well? Good. My name is Greg Brazil. I am the North Campus Pastor. I don't have a campus right now, but our hope is uh, in the spring we're going to launch our uh, North Campus in Round Rock. So please pray for that uh, and ask that God would lead us and guide us in that. So I'm uh, so glad to be here. Uh, Let's go to Ephesians 4 if you have your Bible with you. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, We're in a series right now in Ephesians, kind of a little mini-series inside of a a longer, uh, a larger series. And we're talking about this issue of putting off and putting Putting on. Uh, So Paul commands us in Ephesians 4 uh, to put off the old self and to put on the new self. Some of you have heard these sermons for a while. And so what he's saying is is that Christ now has redeemed you. He's reconciled you. He has bought you. So now you have this new self in Christ with new affections and new passions for God. And so Paul says, put that on and put off that old self, that old, decaying, dying self that tries to pull you away from God because the old self, uh, it's still present. Uh, It's still trying to grab you by your throat and move you away from God, and Paul says you resist that, uh, and you put on this new self, which looks like God, that reflects God's character, Um, it images God's beauty, and glory, and generosity, and kindness in Christ that he has shown us, and so uh, thus far we have seen for the past uh, five weeks, uh, we saw how we are to put off falsehood in chapter four, and put on truth, remember that sermon, so put off falsehood, lying, twisting things, and put on truth. Uh, then Paul also uh, goes on and says to put off sinful anger and put on righteous anger. So put off being sinful, self-focused anger and put on um, God-centered, righteous anger. So put that, one, uh, put that one on. Then he says to put off stealing from last week. Uh, put off stealing and put on generosity. Okay? Now, we come to our last uh, put off, put on section, Um, and Paul's going to say here to put off tearing down and put on building up. So whenever you talk to someone, whenever you speak to someone, Paul says the new person in Christ, you, you put off the old self, which only wants to tear someone down with your words, and you put on the new self, which seeks to build someone up and fits the occasion. So... Uh, here's what Paul says in Ephesians four twenty nine. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So the new self, Paul says, puts off this corrupt speech that tears down, and you put on this good speech that fits the occasion and builds up and gives grace to those who hear. Now, the word corrupting in verse 29, the word uh, corrupting there, the word means rotten or decaying. Uh, it's used in the, in the Greek for like rotten fruit. Uh, so just imagine, you know, brown bananas or brown peaches. That's what old self-talk looks like, Paul says. It's rotten and decaying. Well, why is that? Why is old self-speech rotten and decaying? Well, the answer is the old self is rotten and decaying. Uh, Paul said in Ephesians 4, 22, um, to put off your old self, so put this old self off, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt. Okay, so the old self is corrupt and therefore whenever you speak from the old self, you're wearing the old self, whenever you speak, that, that speech, Paul says, it corrupts and it tears down because the old self is corrupt and torn down and rotten and decaying. And so Paul says, put off this corrupting talk uh, that let not come out of your mouth, um, but put on only such as is good for building up. You see that? Old self-talk tears down, new self-talk builds up. And so Paul says to put off the old and put on the new and speak in ways. Because you're new now. Christ has spoken to you. He's given himself for you. You're new now in Christ. And so now you speak in ways that reflect that that build up, that give grace, that edify, that bless, that serve, that help those, um, those who hear. Now, I want to give you some examples of corrupting talk. What, what does corrupting talk look like? Um, before I do that, though, I want to remind you that the heart behind your words is what matters the most. Okay? It's the intent behind what you're saying that matters the most. And so if your heart is filled up with anger and malice and greed and bitterness, you will speak in ways that tear down and corrupt. And so your words just overflow from your heart. What's in your heart comes out in your speech. You see that? So if I'm filled up with malice and bitterness and unforgiveness and and greed, I will speak from that. All right so this is the, the the intent behind this uh is what matters the most so uh just uh, some examples though from um what corrupting talk looks like uh a few examples when you criticize to harm someone that's corrupt speech now you may give good criticism to help someone but whenever you criticize someone insult them uh critique them in order to harm them that's corrupt speech that tears down Okay, And listen, we'll mask all of this. Our words will have this bite, this tone to them, and we'll mask that speech in, I'm just being real. Hashtag just saying. right? Okay, Or with all due respect. Okay, Ricky Bobby, you can't say with all due respect and just say whatever you want to because you said with all due respect. Um, we'll just mask this in, I'm just being authentic and I'm being honest and I'm being real. No, you're criticizing to tear someone down. The intent behind that is to harm them and hurt them, not build them up, and not do them, uh, do them good. Um, often, just your tone can be what tears someone down. It's not so much what you say, it's just the tone that you use, the right phrasing and how you, how you phrase that, the, the, the tone behind it, that can tear someone down. So, for example, um, your husband said that he would be home by 5 o'clock-ish, okay? Um, and in your mind, wives, that means 507 or 508, somewhere in there. There is no, all right, that's what 505-ish looks like. It's 550, and he walks in the door. Okay, 50 ain't ish. Okay, it's not 5-ish. He's officially late. How you say to him, welcome home, babe, you can say that in two entirely different ways. Same words. Welcome home, babe. So glad you're here. Welcome home, babe, you jerk. Right? It's 5.50. You said 5 o'clock-ish. Okay? Just the tone that you use can tear someone down. Can it? So you criticize the harm, the tone that you use. Um, If you just use blanket statements, you always do this. You always come home late. You say 5 o'clock and you're always home at 5.50. You never cook. You always nag me. You see these blanket statements? Because what you're saying is you never do good. You're telling the person you never do what's good and right and, and just. You see that? So it's just uh, blanket statements. Um, whenever you flatter someone, you know, flattery, Val talks a lot about flattery. Flattery is when you just tell someone what they want to hear. You only praise them. You only give them good feedback. You only tell them what they want to hear that's flattering someone. It's called a yes man in the workplace. It is always, yes sir, you like this, you love this. It's always what they want to hear. And that will tear them down in the end. Uh, Proverbs uh, talks about this. Proverbs 29 verse 5 says that a man who flatters his neighbor... Just tells him only good things, only positive things, only what that person wants to hear. He flatters his neighbor, spreads a net for his feet. Can't you just picture that? You're flattering someone, you prepare this net for them, they're going to be falling uh, fall and be caught up in. What he's saying is in the end you kill them. Because they walk in their own sin, their own folly, and no one ever tells them. No one ever gives them critique. No one ever gives them honest, good feedback and rebukes them or approves them. And they walk in their own sin and it spreads a net for for their feet. Um, Often just your sarcasm can corrupt. When you're sarcastic with someone. Now I'm all about playful banter and guys insulting and joking and mocking. But often behind the sarcasm is the intent to hurt someone. So just watch yourself, whenever you're just really being, have these awesome insults in your mind, um, and you're going to tell that to someone, ask yourself, am I trying to harm them or help them and and be playful and kind and uh, and good to them? So uh, on rare occasions, I'll say to my wife something like this, okay, Becky, fine, Becky. The problem though, my wife's name is not Becky. Her name is Heather. Her mom's name though is Becky. Becky. Don't judge me, because some of you do this, I know. If you're married, if you're single and getting married, you will do this at some point in your life. But what's going on there? I'm trying to insult both her and her mom. There's like nine sins going on there in just one statement. But the intent behind that and just the right phrasing can tear her down, can insult her, and absolutely deflate her. You see how harmful this is? That just sarcasm that we intend to be playful and just joking around can actually tear someone down and it can harm them. So criticizing them to to hurt them, sarcasm, all these things can corrupt uh, other people and tear them down. This is decaying, rotting, old self speech, Paul says. Because the tongue is just so powerful. Like your words and the speech that you use to talk to someone, it is so powerful that it can bring death. Uh, So here's how James chapter 3 says it. Uh, James 3, 6 says, and the tongue is a fire. It's not like a fire, James says. It's not hot like fire. It is a fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. And the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So James says that when you're you're walking in the old self, that this tongue, it can burn down anything in its path. Someone gets in your way, someone insults you, criticizes you, harms you in some way, and just the speech that you use... Can set the world on fire, James says. Think about this. I mean, just these little sparks. How do, far, how do fires begin? A spark. Just these little sparks. An insult here. Sarcasm here. Mocking them there. And all these sparks begin to just burn and set your entire marriage, your work environment... Your relationships, your friendships, your entire course of life are now up in flames just because of your words, James says. That's how powerful your words are. God's given us this power in our words that can either tear down or these, thing, these words can build up and grow and edify and impart life to someone. I mean, how convicting is this, especially at Thanksgiving? Some of you spend a week with crazy uncles and obnoxious in-laws, right? People that you don't really love being around all the time. We could spend hours on these examples. And so likely at this point in this series, um, we've talked about things like lying and explosive anger and unforgiveness and stealing. Um, And you may have gone through that part unscathed. I doubt it. But you may have escaped and go, okay, I don't steal, I don't lie, I don't get sinfully angry, I'm not unforgiving. You may have gotten that far, again, I doubt it, but you may have. And you think, I'm doing okay here until that verse. Because every single one of us use our speech to tear someone down. This week, most likely, you open your mouth and sarcasm and this tone and this bite to your words... It absolutely deflated someone, and it tore them down. That is old self, Paul says. It has no place among those who, those who believe. And listen, our world just thrives on this. If you, you know, social media and Twitter and Facebook and MySpace, if that still exists, um, all those things out there, Fox and CNN and ESPN, we love this, this point-counterpoint debate arguments. We love that. Why? Why? Because we like seeing our opponents torn down. We like seeing someone have a really good comeback, a really good insult, roast someone, burn someone. We just like seeing someone who disagrees with us torn down. And what's worse is Christians can thrive on this. Like we can spend hours thinking about ways to insult someone and come back to them. Do Do you ever fuss with your spouse or your friends or roommates or something, and then after it's over, think of new comebacks? I could have used that one. Where's he at? You ever do that? You think of new creative ways, and you always win, by the way. You never lose in your own mind. You always win the debate in your own mind, don't you? And so we think of ways to insult and criticize and tear someone down. Paul says that's old self reigning and grabbing you by your throat and pulling you away from the life uh, that God has for you in, in Christ. And so he says, put this off, and and then we put on speech that that builds up. So what's that look like? We've seen what corrupt talk looks like. It's being critical to harm someone, this sarcasm with the intent to hurt them, uh, just certain tones. But what is good speech that builds up? Uh, A few examples. Again, the heart, though, is the issue behind this. So whenever your intent is to hurt someone and tear them down, the words will be there, won't they? I mean, we have this stockpile of words just queued up. At any moment, we can use these things and pull these things out to tear someone down. But if your intent is to bless and build someone up and help someone, then the words will be there as well. So a few examples. Whenever you simply encourage someone, they are afraid and they're just shaken and rattled on the inside. And you say words to them that just encourage them. It gives them courage, gives them life, that builds them up. Whenever you affirm someone, when you say to someone, I am for you, I'm not against you, but I, right now, in this moment, I'm for you. Whatever your situation you're in, I'm for you right now. That builds them, that encourages them, that that edifies them is what Paul's getting at here. Um, Whenever you, as we say around here at the stone, whenever you gospel someone, Whenever you remind them that Jesus died in their place, he rose in their place, they are now adopted, chosen, loved, redeemed, reconciled sons and daughters of God in whom he is well pleased, that that builds them up. When you gospel someone and say, God knows you, God chose you, God loves you, God wants you, God is for you, in this moment, those kinds of words build them up. Whenever you offer critique and feedback for their good. So this morning, after I finished the first sermon, I went back to the back there, and my good friend Tyler, your campus pastor, gave me some good feedback. And this sermon will now kill because of that, right? It's just good, it's helpful, it edifies, and it builds up. You need to give that to those who are around you. Whenever you kindly rebuke someone, yes, a rebuke, Right, it is for someone's good when used in the right way. So again, Proverbs is, uh, uh, is helpful here. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Fate, when your friend wounds you and says something to you that just stings a bit, that's faithful, Proverbs says it is for your good so i came to the stone back in uh, back in december and and to be honest with you i was i mean Somewhat insecure, or just wanted to make my mark and kind of prove myself among these guys who are have wonderful, talented men and women who are around us, I wanted just to make my mark and prove myself and kind of show that I could hang with the pastors around here um, and One of our pastors, who shall remain name, name nameless, um, he approaches me and he, I guess he knew this, and in the most casual. Um, godly, kind way said these very words to me. He says, Greg, the thing about you right now is that no one values your opinion or cares about your opinion, but we're glad you're here. (laughs) That's what he said. I mean, he just saw straight through, I guess, my insecurities and my trying to prop myself up and says, no one cares about you right now, but we're glad you're here. And then walks off. I'm like, okay. That stung a bit. It turned out to be faithful wounds, though that edified me and freed me up just to listen, not try and prove myself or make my mark on something, but just to listen, those words were faithful from a guy who's now my close friend here. I praise God for that statement um, 11 months ago. Yeah, it built me up. These kinds of words, so though our speech can tear down Though our speech can destroy someone and decay and rot at someone, it can also build up and edify and grow and bring healing and joy and life to someone. Now, notice what Paul says again in verse 29. uh, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. And notice this little phrase uh, that Paul says, as fits the occasion. As fits the occasion. The word occasion is the word need. Some translations say as fits the need. And so, what Paul has in mind here is a, an occasion that calls for speech. And listen, you have 10,000 occasions every single week to speak in ways that either tear down or in ways that build up. You do. I mean, you have tons of text message conversations, phone calls, uh, meetings. You have tons of occasions in your life every single day to either speak with words that build up and grow and heal and help or words that tear down and destroy and rot and corrupt. And so a a close friend confesses a sin to you. And they are filled with shame and they are broken and they are just wallowing in self-pity and guilt. You must speak into that. You see how this works? They confess something and you see this occasion and you speak words that give life and hope um, and joy to them. Your spouse has a hard day and they're stressed out and they just need a word from you. And so you speak to that occasion. Uh, Maybe your child has a test coming up and he's nervous about this. And so that morning you speak in ways that fit that occasion. And you have all these moments all throughout your life to speak, to edify uh, and say things that build up uh, to them. Or someone gives you critique and feedback. Like someone comes to you and wants to rebuke you and give you some very helpful but stinging critique and feedback. And all of those insults just flood your mind. All those hilarious insults and all that sarcasm fills your mind. You must put that off and speak in ways that fit that occasion. See how this works? This is so convicting what Paul says, but so precise and so clear and so good for us. Uh, So again, Proverbs 15, uh, 23 says, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. How true is this? Some of you have felt these words in season. You were at a place of suffering and pain and guilt and shame, and someone spoke into your life, and it felt so good in that season. Do that to others. Speak in ways that build up, that don't, that don't tear them down and ruin them and bring corruption. The tongue is a fire. It sets the whole world on fire, but it also brings life and joy and healing uh, to those who hear it. Now, look at the last phrase that Paul uses in verse 29. The last phrase, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That it, your speech, that it may give grace to To those who hear. Now, they may not deserve grace. They may not deserve any words that build up and edify them in that moment, but that's the point. Because you didn't deserve grace from God. In fact, you deserve for God to tear you down even more, but instead, God built you up. You deserve the just and fitting wrath of God due to your sin, but instead, all you got was God's grace and mercy and kindness in Jesus. And so you speak now in this way, because you've been spoken to in this way. So so watch this in the text. Uh, Verse 29, uh, Paul says to speak in a way that gives grace. We just read that, right? It fits the occasion. It gives grace to those who hear. Now, verse 25 from a few weeks ago, verse 25, here's what, I'll just read this. Paul says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Okay, so Paul says that our speech should be marked by two things, grace and truth. Okay, you speak in ways that give grace and you speak the truth to those who hear. That's exactly how God's spoken to you. Because John chapter 1 calls Jesus the Word. He is the speech of God. He embodies the very expression and the speech and the words of God. And so if you want to hear what God is saying, look at Jesus. You want to hear God's voice? Look at Jesus. You want to know what's on God's mind? Look at Jesus. He's showing us who God is, and He is the living Word, and John 1.14 says that this living word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of two things, grace and truth. That's how God spoke to you. You deserve to be torn down, but instead God spoke grace and truth to you in his son. See, Jesus was torn down for you to build you up. He was the one mocked. He was the one with insults hurled at him. He was the one who was beaten and slandered and crucified and murdered on your behalf. He was torn down to build you up. And that's why you now get to speak in these ways. Because you have seen the glory of the Father in Jesus Christ, speaking grace and truth, laying his life down, giving himself for you, and that's why you now speak in these ways. Because the gospel has now built you up. And the old self, though, forgets this. The old self forgets the gospel. And so that's why we, we talk to tear someone down, because we feel torn down. When you're walking in the old self, you feel like you're torn down. And therefore, you must tear someone else down to build yourself up and prop yourself up on somebody else at their expense. That's why you tear down. You've forgotten the gospel. And so it's like this. It's those who have been forgiven are the ones who forgive. It's those who've been shown mercy who show mercy. It's those who have received a gift who are now generous. The same thing goes for this kind of text. Those who recognize that God has built them up in Jesus when they should have been torn down, they recognize that, they exult in that, that fills their heart, and now they speak to impart life and joy and hope and grace to those who hear. So let's, let's be these kind of people, those who build up rather than tear down. When the gospel is functioning the way it ought to in our hearts, we will speak in these ways. Now, the last thing that Paul will do here in this section, in chapter 4, is talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, Verse 30, Paul says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So this whole old self, new self, now kind of culminates in, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, the old self, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Whenever you walk in these ways of unforgiveness and sinful anger and stealing and greed and speaking corruptly, it grieves the Spirit of God. So think about this for a second. The Holy Spirit feels your sins. It grieves him to his heart. You think of Jesus, the sovereign king who comes and he weeps over his friend's graveside, over Lazarus. Now, he's going to raise him up. He knows that. But he is standing there and he sees this death and what sin has done to the world that he made, and he weeps over it. You see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, the city that he so longed to gather to himself, but their hearts were hard, and our God is crying and weeping and grieved over their hardness of heart. God feels your sins. Whenever you walk in the old self and you're bitter and angry and unforgiving and you speak in these corrupt ways, like God feels this. It affects God in this way. I think parents I think. I think parents feel this and understand this. So I have three sons, uh, five, three, and one. We've stopped sleeping for about five or six years. We'll pick it back up in a couple of decades maybe. But we, we have three sons, and nothing grieves me more than when they exclude the other, the other sibling. Maybe it's a toy or a game or they're friends, but whenever they exclude the other brothers, it absolutely grieves me. Because I did not raise, I'm not raising them this way. I'm raising them on love and grace and kindness and service and humility. And whenever they act in these ways, they're not acting like the sons I'm trying to raise. And it just grieves me to my heart. Why? Because they're mine. Like, I feel their sins like no one else does, because they are mine. And the Holy Spirit, it causes him grief and sadness. It's not anger that Paul's talking about here. And again, he's not leaving you and writing you off. In fact, it's because he's staying with you. That he has you in his grip of grace. You're sealed for the day of redemption, the text says. His stamp of approval is on you. And so he feels your sins and it saddens him. Yeah, because we're his. We're his chosen, adopted, beloved sons and daughters. And so he feels that. He's grieved over this. He's saddened over this. Because he's holy, and he's kind, and he's good, and he feels this like nobody else. And so Paul's going to end this section and say in verse 31, to let all bitterness and wrath and anger, talked about that, and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Like this is what grieves God the most. This is what saddens God the most to see his adopted sons and daughters walking in this old self kind of life, and it saddens him to his core, Paul says here. It affects him, it moves him, it stirs him, and so rather, Paul says in verse 32, be kind to one another and tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And notice this verse, therefore be imitators of God, as beloved children. See, you're his. And that's why Paul says to walk in ways that reflect who he is and it imitates God's character and kindness and goodness and grace and mercy toward us. In verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This looks like our God. This doesn't grieve him. This magnifies him. It makes him rejoice. It pleases our God to walk in, uh, to walk in these ways. So, uh, just two thoughts, two two quick points of application uh, for this. One, some of you right now, you are tearing people down with your speech. You're walking in the old self, and you are speaking from the old self, and you are tearing down your friends, your spouse, your children. All right, those around you, you're speaking in ways that are decaying and corrupt and that grieves the Holy Spirit of God who sealed you. His stamp is on you and this doesn't look like him. And you need to confess that and repent of that. You need to walk in the new self and speak to edify and go to those that you have wronged in this way and speak words of confession and repentance to them. You need to do that. Second point of application is that some of you, you just need to speak. Like there are occasions all around you that you're saying nothing to. There are all these needs around you, all these occasions around you to speak into something and you're remaining silent. And so look at the gospel, look at Christ dying for you, rising for you, building you up. And from that, speak to those who are around you, who have needs, who have occasions that it may give grace to those who hear. Let's pray together. Father, we need God so much help to do this. Father, I I confess that I have used my speech and my language and the words that you have given to me to creatively and, and jokingly at times, just to get a laugh, to tear someone down, to insult them, and to corrupt Father, all of us are guilty, but we praise you that you did not look at us in our guilt, in our sin, and tear us down, but Jesus, you, you built us up. You came and rescued us, and you bought us, and you purchased us, and so now we are yours. So God, give us grace to speak like that, to talk like you talk, to edify the way you edify, to walk in holiness and kindness and tenderness and integrity and generosity, And forgiveness. God, help us to walk in those ways and to speak in those ways that build up and give grace to those who hear. Father, you are worthy of of all of our affections, of all of our obedience. And so we want to respond now in repentance, in faith. So correct us, Holy Spirit, rebuke us. Help us to realize that you are affected by our sins, that you are grieved over our actions and our disobedience, but that you also rejoice and you feel pleasure over obedience as we seek to magnify your name. And so we ask for help because we need it. We ask for you because we need you among above everything else in our life, Jesus. We need you to come and abide in us as we seek to abide in you and to bear fruit that pleases God. We pray these things in Jesus' great name. Amen.